As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football writer, also dips a little bit into basketball during the podcasting season, joined as always by Brandon Marks, our UNC and Duke basketball writer. Uh, We're in the full grind of this ACC season here, uh, Brandon, uh, and we're coming off the Super Bowl. Did you watch the Super Bowl last night? I, I did watch the Super Bowl, and I was going to say, you know, you're you're setting me up to softball plug you. Your story on on Mr. Bruce Arians uh, and his humble origins, I thought was spectacular. So if if people haven't read that about now Super Bowl champion Bruce Arians, I highly recommend them to go do so. Yeah, I made sure to plug that immediately after. I'm like, hey, look, Bruce Arians is accepting the trophy. Did you know he got his start at Virginia Tech? It's uh, bing, a bing, seamless bing, bing. segue there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was fun. I, I enjoyed the Super Bowl. I tried some of the betting apps for it. Uh, there's, I, I outsmarted the system. There was one that was offering like a 55 to 1 odds, and you just had to pick the winner. Okay. So I signed up, and I picked the Chiefs. And then I signed up on my wife's phone, and I picked the Bucks. <laughs> so There you go. Head Start Bats came out a winner. Uh, so I enjoyed that whole thing. It was a nice little uh, dip of the toe into the, the betting market there. But uh I don't really know how to transition this, but we're in the full grind of the ACC season. In this podcast, I'd like to say something about every team in the ACC. Sometimes we get to the bottom teams and I kind of ignore them. I want to get you to say something about every single team in the ACC uh, in this podcast. And to start it out, of course, I mean, where else are you going to start uh, but with a team that was tied for fourth place beating a team that's tied for eighth place in the conference? Uh, of course, I'm talking about UNC beating Duke over the weekend, 91 to 87. Uh, you know, for two teams that have kind of struggled this year and are trying to find their sea legs, that was a pretty good game uh, to, to watch. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It's funny hearing uh, you you refer to them as the four, tied for fourth and eighth in the conference. I, a couple of years ago, went to, I was fortunate enough to, to visit uh, England and go see Manchester United versus Chelsea. But it was at the time, I believe, like eighth place versus sixteenth place. So, uh, but but yeah, no, Duke UNC certainly without the rankings, without the hype, um, without any fans in Cameron Indoor, it, it still delivered just like always. And 
Um, you know, to have a game that really did come down to sort of the final seconds, um, Duke had a chance to tie with, you know, under 10 seconds left. It, it's exactly why you tune in regardless of anything else going on with either of these teams. But certainly um, for North Carolina, that is that is a defining win. That is something that this team can really hang its hat on and um, hopefully use as a springboard, as, as I wrote after the game. And then on the other hand, for Duke, um, man, I mean, the, the hits just keep coming and, and it's hard not to feel bad for those kids. They played as energetic and as as filled with energy as they have been lacking in previous weeks and um, still just couldn't get it done. So I, I really do feel for Duke, and uh, it, it's, it's getting to that time where we might have to start dismissing the Blue Devils here. Let me speak for the general populace in saying that nobody feels bad for Duke. <laughs> in this situation. Nobody is going, oh, these poor Blue Devils struggling through this season. I, I think I speak for 98% of the population when I say that. Let's start on the good side of that. UNC uh, winning this game. Uh, you know, Garrison Brooks, Armando Begot, Dayron Sharp, all in double figures. Uh, that's kind of become expected. Not, not those all in the same game, but those guys have produced all year. The big story in this one was Caleb Love, uh, season high, 25 points, 9 of 16 uh, field from the field, 4 of 5 on three-pointers. Uh, we have talked extensively on this podcast about if UNC can get some guard play going and can shoot the ball, that becomes a, a much different team, and we saw it in this game. Uh, I, I don't want to call it a, a coming out party for Caleb Love, but I mean, he played incredibly well. I, I, can he keep this up? And if he can, what is the, the Tar Heels ceiling? Yeah, you know, I, I think Roy Williams put it pretty succinctly after the game, and, and he's looking at Caleb Love's box score, and he goes, 25 points, that's that's pretty doggone good. Um, and, and, you know, the way that those points came, you, you mentioned going 9 of 16 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3, the efficiency there is what really stands out to me, because Caleb Love, even, even in high school, was advertised as this sort of go-to scorer. He was someone who um, could really put the ball in the hole at all three levels. You know, he could shoot three-pointers, he could get downhill and attack the lane he could hit floaters and, and runners in the mid-range and um, that's not really Roy Williams's game and so you've started to see him sort of adjust and, and fit himself into UNC system and against Duke he really did that the, the best that he has all season um, I, the thing that I think was the most interesting about about that game was in addition to the four three-pointers in addition to the 25 overall points the fact that he, he, he still wasn't perfect. He still had five turnovers. I think that's actually an encouraging sign for UNC because it proves that he's capable of, even when he's playing a flawed game, of really contributing to winning. And that's something that has been a question for him all season. It was a question with Cole Anthony last year. Do those stats actually contribute to winning? And for Caleb Love, especially of late, you've seen that that is the case. So, um, you know, you mentioned the bigs for UNC. This is the first game that Garrison Brooks, Armando Baca, and Daron Sharp all scored in double figures the same game. It is no coincidence that those three did that on the same night as Caleb Love had his most efficient and overwhelming scoring output. So is this sustainable for UNC? I, I don't think you're going to see all four of these guys play this well together every single game. I just think it would take too much going right. Um but I do think expecting three of the four, you know, Love and two of the bigs to play this well, it's not only something that UNC fans should expect, it's what Roy Williams should expect. I mean, this team has proven, as they did on Saturday, that, that when those facets are all working together, um, this is a team that's going to be a tough out, whether it's in the ACC tournament in the next couple of weeks or the NCAA tournament thereafter. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting in your story, uh, you know, Roy Williams heaping praise on Caleb Love, and he's also like, well, there were the five turnovers and not getting back on defense and basically being a sieve uh, in a layup line for Duke. Uh, so that that's the coach in him that is always uh, sort of like, oh, I can needle this guy a little bit to make him better. Uh, UNC hosts Miami tonight. Later this week, they play at UVA. Uh you know, where, where do you slot this UNC team in the ACC? Is this a team that can be up there in the top tier or is it just sort of a, a step below that still and still has something to prove? Yeah, I, I still think that this team, just because of the inconsistency, you know, K- Caleb Love having one game like this does not a season make. And so for me, I, I'm still hesitant to put UNC in that top tier in the ACC alongside the likes of Virginia and Florida State. And even I would add a Virginia Tech to that upper tier. Um but yeah, th- this Virginia game is going to be really interesting because obviously uh, right now I-, I was just looking through a couple of the bracketologists and projections and things this morning before we hopped on. And right now, Joe Lenardi still has UNC as an 11 seed. He has them as the last of six ACC teams to make it into the field. Um, Virginia being atop that list as a three seed, Florida State a five, Virginia Tech a six. Louisville an eight, Clemson a ten, and UNC an eleven. So I think that that actually does a pretty a pretty good job of of slotting these teams in hierarchy wise. Virginia, FSU, and Virginia Tech very much I think are still competing for the conference title. And then after that, the Louisvilles, the Clemsons, UNC. I would even throw a Georgia Tech in that mix too. Those are the teams that I think they're they're still trying to crack through that final ceiling and get into the top tier. Um, but I don't think it's out of reach by any means, for UNC to win the last double bye in the ACC tournament. Um, Just have to keep playing like they did on Saturday. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament this year is actually an ACC contender. That's how bad the ACC <laughs> has been this year. Uh, flip it over to the other side. Duke, we gave Duke the kiss of death uh, this time last week when we were recording the podcast. We, we didn't necessarily say Duke was back. I know that was the headline on it, but we were sort of mocking that concept of, of saying, is Duke back? And sure enough, like within hours after we record that, they go and they lose at Miami. Which you know, Miami Duke, is, a, Duke is not back. <laughs> let, let me put this: Miami had a competitive week, and you know they, they beat Duke and they almost beat Virginia Tech. Took them to overtime. Uh, you know, lost that game. Uh, Virginia Tech tied it up uh, last second shot to send it to overtime. So Miami maybe a little more feisty than we give them credit, but that was a bad loss for Duke. And then you know this is a tough loss to take here. Uh, they are seven and seven overall, five and five in the ACC. If the NCAA tournament started today, there's no way they are in the tournament. They're not even in the discussion for the tournament. I look at this. They have one quad one win. 
And they only have that because Clemson now moved back into quad one. So that, that, uh, that ups it from zero that they had last week. Uh, you wrote, you know, we sort of teased this last week and you wrote a big article about, you know, what is sort of plaguing Duke. Uh, is this something they can pull out of this year? I, I would say no. And the reason I say that is not because I don't believe in Coach K. Obviously, the dude has over a thousand wins, five championships. You know, he he is as well positioned as anyone in the sport to write this ship. But unfortunately, I, I don't think that there's enough time left for Duke to fix this. Because if you go and you look at Duke's schedule right now, this is not a team that has the opportunity in the coming weeks to really rack up a lot of those quad one wins that you mentioned. The Clemson one is one, but in the next couple of weeks. Really, the, the biggest game that stands out is on February 20th. Duke is going to host Virginia at home, and then in the next couple of weeks after that, they'll play Louisville, Georgia Tech, and North Carolina to end the season. Even winning all four of those games, none of them is really a signature, resume-defining sort of victory. You know, there just isn't anything that really differentiates what Duke has accomplished this season from, you know, a middling Big Ten or Big 12 team. I mean, there's just nothing spectacular about this group. And, um, you know, in that story that you mentioned, Andy, that I that I was uh, lucky enough to put together with Dana O'Neill, we sort of looked at, you know, how has this all come to pass? And, and what we found was basically, you know, in addition to the pandemic, which has obviously affected, you know, so many teams in the country, basically every team in the country. Um, right now, you know, there's a reason that Louisville's on a pause. Florida State's both on a pause for COVID reasons. Um and that that part of it cannot be ignored, especially for a Duke team that is the fifth youngest team in all of college basketball. So the pandemic has certainly exacerbated that youth for the Blue Devils. But at the same time, this Duke team doesn't have anyone outside of Matthew Hurt that scares you consistently. And, and as we saw on Saturday, if Matthew Hurt isn't making a ton of shots, it's hard for this team to consistently do offense. And Matthew Hurt, for as good as he is on offense, isn't a great defender. So, you know, it's sort of a pick-your-poison deal. And and ultimately, when you look at the youth, when you look at the losses, um, when you look at where the team is right now and the games that it has coming down the pipe, it, it would take, at this point, Duke running the table the rest of the season to have any sort of at-large conversation, you know, starter but otherwise, um, this is going to be the first Duke team that misses the NCAA tournament since 1995. And Matthew Hurt, I, I do feel bad for him individually. He has the potential to be the first multi-year Duke player to not play in March Madness, um, You know, basically since Coach K's first teams back in the early 80s. Is this a one-year thing? I mean, we, we you, part of that story that you did, you're looking at sort of the landscape of college basketball and, and Duke was uh, late to sort of change its direction to the not say late, but one of the last ones to sort of change its direction and go into the one and dones. They said, OK, this is the way we're doing it. <laughs> this is these are the players we're going to go after and get it. And now, you know, there's the G League and there's sort of a dispersal of talent with some of these top guys going to other schools. Uh, is it going to be tough to sort of maintain this, go after the top ranked guys all the time? And I mean, you see it in Kentucky right now, and that's another young team. So maybe this is a one-year blip for Kentucky as well. But uh, does this make it tough for Duke to compete the way it has, the way it has operated the last couple of years? Yeah, I, I think that you can say two things and they can both be true. You know, we can say that this is a one-year blip for Duke, and I believe that it will be just based on the recruits that are coming in next season. Um, I believe you can say that and also say that, that Duke is changing the way it's recruiting a little bit, you know, in going after some of the guys that are currently on the roster. I mean, you look at a Matthew Hurt. 
Matthew Hurt was a top 15 prospect, a five-star guy coming out of high school. And as a freshman, he was fine. He was good. He was not great. Um, comes back for his sophomore season, and he's an all-ACC player. He's probably played himself into the first round of the NBA draft. You know, that has um, a tangential impact on how much money this guy's going to be making. And I think what you're seeing is is that is going to be much more the formula that Duke looks to replicate in the coming seasons. That is not to say that Duke isn't thrilled to be bringing in two of the top seven prospects in America in Paolo Banchero and A.J. Griffin, potentially a third if Pat Baldwin Jr. decides to join them. Um, and, and it looks likely that he is going to. So three top 10 recruits, you know, the, those guys are going to play. They're going to be awesome. They're going to star and they're still going to bolt for the NBA immediately. At the same time, guys like a Hurt, Guys like Jeremy Roach, guys like DJ Stewart, Mark Williams, Jamin Brakefield, Henry Coleman. These are all guys that the coaching staff deliberately went after, not because they're not good, but but because they are right on that threshold of being good enough to leave for the NBA after one year. And if you look at the example that Matthew Hurt has now laid, I think you're going to see a trend where Duke continues to go after these guys that are straddling that line between being good enough to make contributions as freshmen, but maybe not quite good enough to leave for the NBA after six months. If you can, they're thinking essentially is that if we can get guys who will stay for two or three years versus six months, maybe we can build back up the experience and the depth that is needed to compete with the Villanovas, the Baylors and the Gonzagas of the world at large. I saw UNC fans out on Franklin Street celebrating the win. And like, I don't want to get on like a pandemic thing, but celebrating the win over a, a 500 Duke team. What's your thoughts on that? Is that something you do? It's it's not a good look. I know. I know that. Uh, and, and listen, I understand the emotion in this rivalry. Like I remember being a freshman at North Carolina the first time that a UNC team I like knew beat Duke and and people were throwing, you know, watermelons and pumpkins off their balconies and people are, you know, all coming out and screaming and the TVs are going, but like, I get that. I get that you're excited, but it's a horrible look. It's an awful, awful look. It, it, actually, Andy, it's funny in the postgame press conference, someone mentioned to Garrison Brooks as they were, you know, he, he's still in Cameron and they say, you know, people are so excited. They're rushing Franklin. And he, he does this face like they're rushing. What? Like, really? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I think he was as shocked as all of us. Not a great look. And, and UNC now, uh, the chancellor has come out and said that they're going to investigate the incident. So uh, I think there are going to be some repercussions that come out of this. It's 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 I'll, def- I'll defend the other side. Let the kids dance. Come on. Let the kids dance. Like, I think they're the pro- ma- if they're masked up and they're out there, like, just let them celebrate a little bit. It's been that's a the problem. That's the problem. A lot of them weren't wearing masks. Oh, okay. That's the that's the biggest issue. Like you see the videos and like one in maybe every five kids is wearing a mask. Well, rivalries. I feel like you always celebrate a rivalry. I, I dislike right. I'm a Vikings fan. I dislike the Packers. I did a little dance when they lost the NFC championship game. So I, I won't come down too hard uh, on the students celebrating this win. Let's check in with some of the other top teams uh, kind of go down the standings here. UVA had uh, I don't want to say like a, a nice bounce back week, but it was a solid week coming off, off a game after they had their winning streak in the ACC snapped by Virginia Tech the previous week. They beat NC State. They beat Pitt. Uh, kind of similar games. They win by seven points in each. It's not like they ran them out of the gym or anything like that. Tony Bennett sort of questioned his team's toughness after that Virginia Tech game. Uh, you, you know, Some of the players were asked about it and said, you don't like your coach calling you soft 
And I think they came out and they responded, you know, as well as you could expect. I mean, Sam Hauser uh, had a pretty good games, 23 and 18 points in those two wins. He played pretty good defense against Justin Champagny in that pit game. Maybe it doesn't show. I mean, Champagny had 18 and 10, but this is the leading score and leading rebounder in the ACC. And Sam Hauser really made him work for that. Um, I think in a normal year, in a normal talented uh, ACC, we wouldn't be talking about UVA as the clear front runner and probably going to win this thing. But uh, in this season, they're just uh, maybe unspectacular, but they're solid as the day is long. And I feel like they're just going to cruise to this regular season title. I don't know about Cruz, but they're definitely in the driver's seat. You know, I think you look at, you know, you look at Virginia and you would say normally, no, this is not an ACC. This is not a dominant ACC front runner team. You know, there are games where Kihei Clark, you know, still looks like he doesn't belong. I know that he played great against Pitt, had, I think, eight assists. But um, there are games when, when he's not getting it done. There are games when Jay Huff is been a little bit out of sync lately. Uh, Hauser, you know, you mentioned he was great against Pitt, 23 points, eight and nine overall. But, um, you know, people were projecting him to be the ACC player of the year this year, and he hasn't totally lived up to that standard every single game, I would say. But uh, yeah, I, I think the thing about Virginia is in addition to calling out their toughness, I think this is a team that is finally um, s- sort of settling into their roles, if you will. You know, you look at a Kihei Clark having eight assists. Um, that is a guy who very clearly understands his role in the offense. And, and this Virginia offense right now is, is better than the Cavaliers defense. So um you know, Kihei Clark is finding his spot. Huff and Hauser are the two centerpieces. And then everyone else sort of plays off of them. It's hard to say that this team is going to be a runaway, though, just because I do think that there are teams like a Virginia Tech, there are teams like a Florida State that are going to give them problems. The, the, the only thing I think that is probably helping Virginia's case more so than, say, a Florida State would be Florida State just just hadn't had the games. You know, Florida State right. hasn't had the opportunity. So I'm interested to see how that plays a role down the stretch. But um, certainly, yeah, this this is not the dominant UVA teams we're used to. As we said, you know, we're used to seeing the pack line defense dominate rather than the offense. But um, this is still a great team. Like, let's, let's not shake a stick at Virginia. Like, this is still a really good team, and nobody's going to want to play them come March. I feel like in a season like this, uh, where teams are wildly unpredictable, week to week, game from game, UVA is the most steady. And I will take that steady horse in this race, (laughs) particularly this ACC, where there's just no team that stands out head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, Virginia Tech, uh, interesting week for them. They lose at Pitt 83 to 72. Come back, beat Miami 80 to 76. They were up comfortably in that game, gave it away. Miami has the lead. Hunter Couture comes off a screen, hits a three at the buzzer to send it to overtime where uh, Virginia Tech wins that game. Uh, This could be an interesting week for Virginia Tech because they were supposed to play Florida State on Tuesday. That game got postponed. Uh, All of a sudden, Louisville uh, had a game postponed this week because of COVID. Chris Mack uh, uh, contracted the virus. Uh, so who knows what that game on Saturday could be. Virginia tech could just have like a a bye week. They could have just an open week, maybe not necessarily coming at the worst time. Jalen Cohn injured his ankle at Miami Tyrese Radford. It sounds like there's a path for him to return. He was at Miami. He was not dressed. Uh, Mike Young uh, put a statement out. Uh, uh, Radford had pled guilty or found guilty of a DUI. His weapons charge was taken under advisement for a year. So he's got his legal things sorted out behind him. Uh, Mike Young said there's a path for Tyrese to return to competition this week. If he upholds the expectations necessary, we will continue to evaluate his situation. So that sounds like he is on the path to return 
Uh, if Tyrese Radford comes back and Jalen Cohn gets healthy and you have that to Hunter Couture and Kevin Aluma and, and all the other guys on that team, that is a dangerous team. I think if they, they can put this thing back together. Yeah. Tyrese Radford coming back. I, you know, you wouldn't think <laughs> if I had told you this back in November, you'd have laughed at me, but that change Tyrese Radford could change the ACC race. He could change who wins this conference. I think that Virginia Tech is a good enough team with Tyrese Radford in the fold, especially when you consider, you know, you mentioned Hunter Couture. Has, is there a dude in the conference that's playing as well as he is right now? Like, I don't know if there's anybody that's taken as many charges as Hunter Couture has. <laughs> he he has been playing out of his mind lately. Not just did he make that, uh, you know, the three to send that game to overtime. I, I believe he also made the game clinching free throws. So, you know, Hunter Couture is playing out of his mind. You know, Justin Mutz, not a guy that we would normally expect to have a sort of breakout game. Um, he sort of carried the burden along with Keve Aluma. This is a really good team. And Radford coming back into the fold, especially with how some of the guys have sort of stepped up to the mantle in his absence. I, I think there's no reason that Virginia Tech, considering the Hokies already have the tiebreaker over Virginia by, by victory, um, you know, what was that, a week and a half ago now, this is a really scary Virginia Tech team. And it's not just because Keve Aluma is good. It's not just because of Mike Young's style. It's not just because Jalen Cohn is, you know, when he's not injured. It's not just because he's so shifty. Um, it, it, it's because this is a team that is still figuring out different ways to beat you. You know, they don't just play one way. If, if things have to go through Aluma on the inside one game, sure. If things are more perimeter oriented for a game, sure. This is a versatile team that Mike Young has assembled, and it's really hard not to like their upside. The, the reason why I don't feel comfortable saying Virginia, yes, they're going to run away with the conference is because of Virginia Tech. This is the team, not Florida State, that I'm most worried about and the team that I think has as good a chance as any of coming back and actually winning the ACC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It will be interesting. I, I, I would love for, to see that uh, Virginia Tech UVA game that got postponed earlier this year made up. Uh, not sure if there will be time to do any of that, which brings us to the next teams in the standings. I want to talk about Florida State and Louisville. Florida State at six and two, Louisville at six and three. Both of these programs are on a pause right now because of COVID-19. Uh, Florida State just out of the blue is like, we're postponing three games. <laughs> okay, <laughs> They're like, a, we're taking the next week and a half off. Yeah, <laughs> that is a, a long time out. BC Pitt and the one that I, I really wanted to see, Virginia Tech. I was really looking forward to watching that game. I did have that one circled, so I'm disappointed about that. They play at uh, versus Wake Forest on February 13th is their next game. So we're still talking five more days from now. Uh, Louisville just had the Pitt game postponed. Uh, I mentioned Chris Mack uh, testing positive. Uh, I don't really know what to talk about these two teams because they're on pause. So I'll ask you this. There's no way we're making up these games, right? No, there, not there's, a chance. Just no, there's just no time for it. 
Not a chance. Not a chance. And that, I think, is one of the, the, the biggest flaws that was pointed out back when the ACC first released its schedule. You know, other teams have, uh, or other leagues, excuse me, ha- had built in, like, makeup periods, essentially. You know, periods of time where teams specifically didn't have games scheduled because those leagues had the foresight to say, games are going to get postponed, and let's try and work in a framework that helps our teams. The ACC did not do this. Um, the ACC basically just went along with its normal schedule. And no, as a result now, what's being talked about is, is it more important for these teams like a Florida State, like a Louisville, teams that are in the NCAA tournament as of today, if it were going to start, um, but but still you know, need to finish out the rest of their seasons, is it more important for those teams to make up their regular season games, or is it more important for them to play in the ACC tournament in whatever form or, or version it takes? Um, I would argue that it's the latter, and I think that's what you're going to ultimately see from the league offices come down, and, and no, we're going to miss out on some of these games. We probably are not going to get a Virginia Tech-Florida State, which sucks for everyone involved. Um but at the same time, I think that is really going to place a higher emphasis on the ACC tournament again. Um, there's been you know, a lot of speculation around that event, if it would happen, what it would look like, would teams opt out. Um, but I think for, for a team like Louisville and a team like Florida State, for as, as good as you have to feel about where you are right now, you can't feel confident that you're in the field, especially because who, who knows what the selection committee is going to do this year. So I think that is just going to make the ACC tournament a little bit more important for those teams. But certainly um, these disruptions, could they also you know throw off the momentum that Florida State and Louisville were building? Absolutely. It's, it's sort of the way this year is going, though. Speaking of teams in the NCAA tournament field, I've been giving this team a hard time uh, the last couple of weeks, but Clemson is back from the dead. Uh, come, beat, come back. Come back to me. <laughs> beat North Carolina 63 to 50. Beat Syracuse 78 to 61. Uh, 12 and 5, 6 and 5 in the ACC. I was looking up some of their you know net numbers. They're 47th in the net. They are 8 and 5 versus quads 1 and 2 teams, which is more wins than any other team in the ACC. Virginia Tech has 7. Louisville, UVA, Florida State each have 6. Uh this is an NCAA tournament team, and pretty solidly, it feels like, despite that little run in the, in the middle of the season where they're getting blown out every week, and they, they've turned this around. Yeah, Clemson blew an engine about a, you know maybe six games or so ago, and somehow rebuilt it on the fly. Um, you know, the UNC win to me was particularly, you know, telling because Clemson and and UNC are a very weird matchup for each other. Like Clemson doesn't have. A traditional big. They obviously have Amir Sims, who, as I will say on every pod, is one of my favorite players in the league. I love Amir Sims. I hope he gets drafted in, in the second round this year and some team takes a flyer on him. Um, but he's really Clemson's biggest guy, and he's six eight and a half. And UNC's got three dudes who were basically all five star players and they're all six foot ten and bigger and they're gigantic. And Amir Sims just handled them all. And the the defensive game plan that Brad Burnell came up with for that game where he was doubling the post, fronting on post entry, just just completely denying UNC's bigs. Um, it's a lot easier to say you're going to do that than to, to actually do it. And the fact that Clemson was able to execute, to me, was fascinating. So, yes, we, we gave Clemson the kiss of death weeks ago when we called them the best team in the ACC. What is um, this we? You were the one who made this statement, all right? The pod sticks together. And, okay. <laughs> and Clemson has, has has really turned this around. I mean, I take much more from the UNC win than I do the Syracuse one. I think Syracuse's offense 
has sort of been uh, in flux most of the season, to put it generously. But but beating UNC in such a dominant, emphatic fashion, um, it, it really suggests to me that the COVID pause that Clemson had to take did a number on the Tigers, really got them out of rhythm. Uh, I think that conditioning very quickly becomes an issue. And, and that's why it's going to be so important the next month of the season as we are building into March. Teams like Florida State and Louisville, are they going to have a similar thing? Are they going to have a two-week you know, warming up period thereafter? What about a team that has a COVID pause right before a conference tournament and misses that and goes straight from you know playing in the end of February to, to playing in March Madness? I mean, it's going to be fascinating seeing if, if the Clemson effect is I'm going to try and trademark it, if that applies to other teams in the league, in the country. Um, but no, certainly right now Clemson is squarely in the field. And with a defense like that, if you catch the Tigers on a bad day, that is not a fun game to have. Yeah, last three wins for Clemson, they gave up 50, 50, and 61 points. That is stifling defense at that point. I want to do this next part. I want to call this, is there a path to the NCAA tournament uh, okay. for these teams? Let's start with Georgia Tech. Uh, they follow up their Florida State win. They lost to Louisville. They come back. They beat Notre Dame barely it was a close one nearly blew that they're nine and six five and four overall this is uh as big of a week for a team that is sort of bubble-ish uh as you can imagine they play uh, virginia on wednesday they play at clemson on friday uh and they just have a packed schedule versus Pitt on sunday versus bc on tuesday four games in seven days i mean it's just going to be rapid fire here on this team uh, this is a tough team for me to figure out do they have any shot of getting to the, the tournament here I think so. So so right now, you know, as I was talking about earlier, Joe Lenardi right now has Georgia Tech in his next four out. So so really, when you talk about the week that's coming and the next four games in seven days that, that the Yellow Jackets have on their schedule, this is when we're going to find out. You know, we're going to know by this point next week, as we're recording the pod, we're going to be able to, to place a couple extra tick marks next to Georgia Tech's name one way or another. Um, you know, this is really going to be the defining stretch for this team because... Georgia Tech has proven at its best that it can hang with anyone. You know, that Florida State win, uh, even though it was at home, looks amazing. You know, beating North Carolina at home, that that is a game that looks better and better. Um, Georgia Tech was able to get in on that Clemson skid and, and steal one against the Tigers. So they have the, the resume sort of marquee wins that you need. Now you got to prove that you can keep doing it. And so I'm not saying that Georgia Tech by any means needs to go undefeated in these next four games. I don't think that that's possible. I don't think that's realistic against the three of those four teams are really good. Virginia, Clemson, and Pitt are good teams. Um, But certainly, I I think that to have a legitimate tournament case come the end of February, you're you're talking about needing to pick up three of those four. Um, And the Virginia one is going to be the most difficult one. The Clemson one's not going to be easy too. And, And so if you're assuming that Pitt and Boston College are both beatable teams. To me, Josh Pastner's club has to come away with a win either against Clemson or Virginia to have an argument as going from in that next four out and being on the outside of the bubble looking in. Um, it's going to take one of those two wins to be something of a signature. I, I think it's possible, um, but it's certainly not anything that I would say is locked in stone. Yet Pitt looked feisty for a second there, has uh, since lost four or five. They're five and five in the ACC. Uh, we've mentioned Champagny numerous times. He's outstanding. Is this a team that can be consistent enough to be in there, though? I go I go no. And I actually I actually think that Justin Champagny, um, for as good as he's been, and, and Brian Bennett had a great story on him and his brother uh, last week, I believe, that if you haven't read on The Athletic, you should certainly go check that out. Um, Champagny's been cooling off a little bit. I mean, he's still getting the green light to put up the sort of shots that, that he was earlier in the season, but 
he's not scoring quite as efficiently as he was before. You know, I went and I pulled their their numbers from the the game against Virginia. 18 points, yes, but on 8 of 18 shooting, missed his only three-point attempt and and six rebounds. So that is still a cr- an incredible line. Like the fact that I'm in any way, you know, dismissing 18 and six is crazy. Uh, that's the, the crazy standard he has set for himself. But yeah, I think you're looking at a situation where if Justin Champagne is going to come back to earth a little bit, um, if he's not going to be able to put up 30 and 20 every game as no human being should be able to, uh, then yeah, I think this pit team is going to have some problems with consistency because he, he's really the, the fabric that makes them great. Um, you know, Johnson and Tony are really good players. They're a great Batman or Robin Hood to his Batman. But without Champagne playing at his absolute A1 best, I don't think that this team has enough to really threaten for the tournament. It, it would take it would take Champagne relifting his play over the next month of the season in addition to, I would say, winning at least two games in the ACC tournament to, to pit to feel like it even has a chance at realistically getting into the field. Well, we can't talk about the bubble without bringing up Syracuse because they, <laughs> they've got just a, they a reside con- there. Yeah, they've got a timeshare on the con- on the bubble just every year. That's where they are. Uh, I can't figure this team out. They're four and five in the ACC. They have uh, as big of a home road split. I mean, they're nine and one at home and one and five on the road this year. Like maybe if they could get the ACC tournament moved to the Carrier Dome. I think this team uh, could be in good shape or, or they're not calling it the carrier dome. It's just the dome now. I, the I, dome. Yeah. I forget yeah. what the sponsor is. I, old habits are hard to break with that stuff. But uh, I mean, we're going to go through this again with Syracuse. They're going to be right there. And if they're in, they're going to be team number 67 or something like that. And if they're out, they're going to be team number 70. I mean, that that's just where they are every year. Yeah. This, this is, uh, you know, for as much as Jim Beheim hates Greensboro, he's got to hate the bubble even more. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm starting to to turn my opinion of Syracuse and not in the best way. I don't think that this team is a tournament team. And in terms of a path, I, I think that Syracuse's path probably looks less realistic than Pitt's because Syracuse, you mentioned that home road split. That's something that the selection committee takes into consideration. And then you look at their schedule and their resume. The best win that Syracuse has this year is against Virginia Tech. Um, I think we were all surprised when that happened. And and that was really a game where Syracuse's offense sort of carried the load. The defense did just enough in in beating the Hokies. But outside of that win, um, Syracuse's non-conference schedule was awful. I mean, Bryant, Niagara, Ryder, uh, Northeastern, obviously, you know, they've beaten Boston College and Buffalo and Georgetown. There's just really no great wins outside of that Virginia Tech one. And there's nothing about this team that suggests that all of a sudden things are going to get turned around. You know, Syracuse, the reason that they've been on the bubble for five years is because they haven't had a big man for five years. And without the length in that zone, I, I actually had an NBA friend of mine, um, a scout for one of the teams who, who went to Syracuse, texted me this weekend and said, that zone looks a lot worse without big bodies. You know, without the length needed to disrupt passing lanes into sort of stymie offenses, um, the zone is just not as effective as it used to be. Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard haven't been consistent enough. I, I don't want to say they've taken a step back from last year, but they certainly haven't taken a step forward. And yeah, right now it is getting harder and harder to see a path for Syracuse to make the tournament, especially because, you know, from what they have shown thus far this year, there's no reason to think that all of a sudden this is a team that's going to turn around and be able to go on the road and beat Louisville, go on the road and beat Duke, and go on the road and beat Georgia Tech. And, and that's what it would take. 
NC State is not a team I have brought up on this podcast too much, and maybe for good reason. Uh, I mean, they they were a lot uh, stronger earlier in the year, and they lose Devin Daniels for the year with an ACL injury. I feel like that kind of seals their fate this year. But they're four and six in the ACC, so let's mention them here. Uh, any shot of this team turning things around, or is the Daniels thing just too too much to overcome? Yeah, no chance. Daniels, Daniels, when when Devin Daniels went down, so did NC State's tournament hopes. I mean, uh, if you go back and you look since the calendar flipped to 2021, NC State has lost six of its eight games with those two wins coming against Wake Forest and Boston College. Um, they've lost every single other game, including to Miami at home. That's a that's a terrible loss, as Duke has just found out. And yeah, this is just a team that. Um, even beyond Devin Daniels' injury, it's it's sort of a weird group. You know, DJ Funderburk um, has been there for a couple of years now. He, he's a guy who is a veteran. He's experienced. Um, I think that Coach Keats was looking at him as something of a leader. And he misses a game, and then he, he sat basically for the last six minutes of a game they had recently, didn't get a chance to get in. And uh, I believe that was against Virginia in a, a game that NC State ultimately lost. And you just sort of wonder, you know, you hear Keats mention something about him upholding the standards of the program and not doing that. And um, I, I think it's fair to wonder, like, what's going on behind the scenes there. But, yeah, th- this is an NC State team that's just sort of fallen apart. Um, for as fast as they want to play, for as offensively, you know, I, I would say minded and offensively dedicated as this team is, um, the offense just hasn't been good enough without Daniels. It wasn't really good enough with him. Um, too much inconsistency from those guys, too much inconsistency from Jericho Hellams, Manny Bates. Um, this is a team that I think is going to be exciting in a couple of years as Shaq Moore and Cam Hayes get a, get a few more minutes. Manny Bates still has a lot of room to grow, but no, for right now, the Wolfpack season is is... It's not over because there's a month left, but um, whenever the ACC tournament finally delivers them their last blow, uh, I think Kevin Keats is going to take a, a long vacation and a look at what went wrong with this group that had such high preseason hopes. Okay, we are well past the uh, are they going to make the NCAA tournament part portion of the standings. I promised we were going to talk about everybody in the conference, though. I'm going to call this category, give me a reason to care. Now, give me a reason to care about Notre Dame. Um, because Mike Bray might be coaching in his final season. Is that interesting enough, Andy? You think this, you think this could be it? I I think that it's time uh, for Notre Dame and Mike Bray to have the talk. Um, not saying that they need to split up right now. Mike Bray is obviously the best coach in Notre Dame history, what he's done for that program and, and making it relevant in the ACC, helping guide it into the conference in terms of basketball. Um, you know, he's an icon, he's a legend and the conference is better for having Mike Bray. But at the same point, this team is not going anywhere. And this is the second year in a row. This is It's been a couple of years now since we had the Bonzi Colson, you know, Elite Eight teams that were really challenging for ACC titles and, and for making NCAA tournament runs. That hasn't been the standard in South Bend of late. And um, Mike Bray's not getting any younger. Uh, Notre Dame doesn't have any superstar recruits coming in. Um, I think it's getting to the point where you start to wonder, okay, what's next for this program? And I'm not saying that it's definitely going to happen, but certainly I think it is getting to the point, both in Mike Bray's personal career trajectory and the trajectory of this program, for both sides to come together and look at this thing and say, hey, is it in our best interest to keep doing what we've been doing? It hasn't been working the past couple of years, um, and there's really no indication that things could get turned around anytime soon. 
Yeah, it has been. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at his list here. Last NCAA tournament appearance was 2017. Uh, who knows last year? They were 10 and 10 in the league, 20 and 12 overall. Uh, I, I don't really remember what their resume was going into last year, but you're right. It's been a couple of years since they've had those teams who are just like, oh, these are going to be uh, a factor in the ACC tournament here. But somebody that's been there so long and done that contribution, it's not like you throw them away after one or two bad years, uh, certainly right. when you're looking at a pandemic. Uh, Miami, give me a reason to care. Miami is is one of the teams that I'm most upset for this season because if Miami had a fully healthy team, if Chris Likes was there, if Cameron McGusty had played every game, if Earl Timberlake played every game, if Sam Warrenberg doesn't get hurt in the preseason, I, I think this could be a tournament team. Isaiah Wong's playing like an all-ACC contributor, and um, Miami, you know, I, I, I love the way Virginia Tech plays. Miami's probably the hardest-playing team in the ACC right now. So... Um, I guarantee you that Miami is going to give North Carolina problems tonight. You can book it. I'm marking it down. We're, we're setting, we're, we're recording this podcast on Monday morning, hours before that game. I guarantee you that Jim Laranega's team is an absolute pest for North Carolina tonight. But, but no, um, Isaiah Wong in and of himself, he is such a fun player. He's playing like an all ACC guy. He's enough reason alone to watch the Hurricanes. Yeah, this podcast has a, a habit of doing that when we talk about somebody and then put it out uh, in Monday afternoon. Then Monday night, that team inevitably loses and makes us look like idiots for the entire week. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't happen uh, with this one. We're, we're giving Miami enough props here. Uh, you know, that, that was a team last week that beat Duke. Uh, gave Virginia Tech everything I could handle. So I would not uh, go up and against Miami and, and take them lightly, uh, even considering where they are in the standings. Uh, Wake Forest, Steve Forbes' first year there. Uh, give me a reason to care. Give you a reason to care is that Steve Forbes has this. T- Again, you know, this is another team where Steve Forbes is the only Power Five coach in the country who took over a job in the middle of the pandemic. He's the only one. Just him. That's the list. And so... The fact that he is able to make, you know, Wake Forest isn't a great team. You know, this is a team that uh, it's going to take a couple of years to rebuild what Danny Manning left behind, which was not much of anything. Um, But Steve Forbes has this team playing hard. It's a fun team to watch. Davian Williamson in and of himself is a really fun guy. Um, Ismail Masood, when he hits, you know, he's good too. So I I think this is a team that you're looking for. A reason to care being being a more fun team than like the Boston College of the conference isn't really a, a good reason, but um, this team just plays hard. And Steve Forbes is a fun guy. I listen to Wake Forest games alone just to try and hear the audio the hot mics pick up on Steve Forbes because he is a colorful character, maybe as much so as anybody in the league. And um, when Wake Forest gets good in a couple of years, we're all going to really enjoy how much we get to talk to Steve Forbes. It'd be nice if Wake Forest was good. I miss those days in the ACC. They sort right? of been in the wilderness for a while. Uh, I feel like the, the league is just better when it's a, a a stronger Wake Forest team there and the North Carolina schools are all doing well. Uh, I'm going to challenge you for this very last one here. Uh, Boston College, give me a reason to care. Because we're watching a head coach and an administration fight in real time in front of our eyes. Um, Boston College's administration comes to Jim Christian and says, look, do you think you can play this game with a number of your players in COVID contact tracing? Do you think you have enough bodies? Jim Christian says no. Jim Christian's administration comes back and says, thanks for your input, coach. You're going to be playing those games anyways. And don't, don't fill out a roster. Find some guys from Boston Common and send them out. Dress them up. Put them on the floor. Literally, the scout guys. team. The scout team is playing. Um, so I, I love watching the dumpster fire that is Boston College right now. I, I don't see a way that Jim Christian is back next year. Uh, this is a team that hasn't made the NCAA tournament in, in a number of years. I they think they have one winning season in the seven years he's been there. 
you know, Jim Christian is is not in an easy job, but certainly he has not uh, excelled in that role. So I, I just enjoy watching the spectacular dumpster fire, and I really like the infighting between the administration and the head coach. You know, I'm all for a little bit of ACC uh, controversy. And, and also, I genuinely, Andy, cannot think of anything about Boston College basketball team that I want to, to willingly witness. This is why you're the best ACC podcasting partner in the business, because I could give you every team in the ACC, even the lousy ones, and go, give me a reason to care, and you come up with the reason for every single team. I'm, I'm in awe. I'm very impressed, Brendan. <laughs> Uh, Boston College is a toughie, I will admit, but but no, I mean, I think the conference this year is just sort of a hectic mess, and like, who doesn't love occasionally watching a dumpster fire get hot against the top three seed? I do, you know, that's just, just fun stuff. Well, that's another week down. We're going to do it again next week, back in this crazy conference, see what we got wrong immediately, and find out and, and try to correct the course next week. Brendan, thank you again for coming on the pod. Absolutely, Andy. You know, this is our time. You know, football season's over. Uh, ACC basketball season, March Madness time. Let's let's get going. All right. We're heating up here. Uh, you know, rate review us on Apple, Spotify and Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, folks. Uh, this is the time to get the word out on the podcast as we get closer to the tournament. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen ad free on there. Go to theathletic.com slash ACC pod to find our best deal there. Follow me on Twitter, Andy Bitter VT. Follow Brendan at Brendan R. Marks. He's the one who's actually covering the games. He's much more interesting to follow. Uh, this time of year that's going to do it for the show we'll be back again next week to talk to you about more acc basketball